Good evening, everyone. Great to have you here. Because it would be really weird if I was speaking to no person in here, right? <laughs> All right, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 this morning. I mean, this evening, obviously, this evening. We'll read the whole of chapter 2, and we'll try to cover the whole of chapter 2. trying to get Ruth in before uh, we start breaking for holidays, so uh, we're going to take this whole section. Plus, it really is one story. This, this second chapter um, is the field incident, right? The, what happened in the field. Uh, there's a morning plan and an evening review, but uh, it's what happens in this field that is mainly covered here. So now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Limelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you, and they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean 
even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thus the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, give us grace to understand your word, to uh, believe your word, and live out your word for the glory of God. Amen. I know you'll be glad that I have my watch here. <laughs> um, first, just a word about gleaning. You may or may not know uh, about gleaning, but it's based on the idea that the land is Yahweh's land, and every man's field is Yahweh's field, which he has provided. And so his law of kindness is written into the very management of those fields to reflect his regard for the poor, the widow, and the orphan. And of course, when God had mercy on Israel, Israel was in that way a stranger, a foreigner, uh, whom he brought into his, his land. So because God is a God who rescues, this is Atkinson writing, because God is a God who rescues slaves and cares for the poor, helpless, and needy, so the socioeconomic laws are to express this human concern also. For the land and the people belong to this covenant God, this God of, of, of uh, Kesed, and their pattern of life is to reflect his nature. So you might say, I think this is Ferguson who wrote, grace and graciousness is written into the very commandments he had given his people. And at the same time, we have to realize that gleaning was very hard work. It was subsistence living. It's been likened into gathering aluminum cans and trying to get enough to eat through selling aluminum cans. Uh, it's on that level, um, like maybe barely minimum wage kind of thing. And the possibility, as he indicates uh, in this passage we read, the possibility of being assaulted or you can be tricked by owners. You can be thrown off the field, out of the field by owners. 
you just hope you that's that's the reason she says I hope I'll find someone who will show favor on me and I can go behind his reapers and glean the field after them so she that's when she's talking to Naomi let me go to the field and let's see if I can find someone to have favor on me to even glean in the field so it, it is said that you had to leave the edges of your field and you couldn't go back over it a second time. You had to leave that for the poor. That was written into the law to provide uh, for the poor, even as hard as it was. Now, in this chapter, before moving ahead with the action, the, the narrator's giving us information that the characters don't have. So, he's telling us that there's this man of Elimelech, his name was Boaz. And there's a neat little chiasm here. That's uh, you know where it comes to a point and backs out. So it starts with um, Elimelech, whose name was Boaz, and then it talks about gleaning. Then it talks about gleaning again, and it backs out Boaz, Elimelech, to show that this is a neat little unit, uh, verses one through three, to set up what was going to happen. And uh, we are led ourselves, though they are not led to this, we are led when we hear, oh, Elimelech, this is the clan that belongs to Boaz. We wonder if this man might do something here. Uh, and then we see her say, I'm gonna go and glean and see if I can find favor with someone. And we're already maybe thinking, I wonder if it could be Boaz. Oh, well, well, she just happened to walk in the field of Boaz, right? Now, several commentators point out that this, it really has the feel of, and so she happened to walk into the field of Boaz, right? It, it's understood that by, the, by saying it as though it's an accident, he's underscoring his conviction, this was no accident. This was God working here. But in terms of what uh, she herself knew, uh, she had no intention of finding Boaz's field. She didn't know who Boaz was. She didn't know what was going on here. But God knew what was going on here. Um, so it's just underlining that it's not an accident. And then the feel of verse 4 with this word, hina, the, the, the Hebrew word, behold, it basically means kind of like this, and wouldn't you know it, Boaz comes from Bethlehem. So there's this feel of, wait a minute, could it be Boaz? And oh, she wanders in his field. Oh, look at that, he just showed up, Boaz. So a, a slick orchestration from God to bring to this point. And commentators talk about the, the distinct hint of wonder, how graphic and vivid this is, uh, and it enables us to enter into the surprise of what's going on here. Look what happens. Guess who shows up? It's Boaz. So she doesn't know who Boaz is. She doesn't know where God is leading her. And we can say that about ourselves. The contrast that is between what God's purpose for her is and what she knows about it, it's the same thing with us all the time, every day. Seemingly small and insignificant decisions that we make are serving his purposes in our life all the time. 
all the time. We think nothing of day-to-day encounters, so-called accidents of, of history, but he's always using ordinary events to advance his good purpose in our lives. This is God's world. It's always God's world. Every part of it is God's world. And his involvement is total and it's gracious. His involvement in your life is total and it's always a gracious involvement. So the narrator is helping us to see the handwriting here. He's, he's putting God's autograph or signature into this uh, narrative, even though the people themselves don't know this, and it's the same with you. His handwriting is always in your life. His autograph is always there in everything that's happening in your life. And so she has just taken wings under, uh, under the Lord, but she, hadn't, she has no idea, right? She has no idea that how specifically and wonderfully she, by just wandering into this field, has just wandered under the wings of Yahweh in a new way from her even coming back to come under the wings of Yahweh. So every event in your life is just one more scheme, one more pathway to do you good. One more instrument, one more set of circumstances to do you good. Psalm 23, 6 really is true. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And his goodness and mercy is obviously following Ruth at every step. Guiding and building and creating for her her whole new life that is about to come. My uh, sister bought a spaniel, uh, English, I think. It was a gorgeous dog for my mom and dad. And they did not ever live in that house again unless the dog was in the room with them, right? There, I mean, literally, there was never a moment where that dog left to go to another part of the house or was anywhere except with them, all right? And it was... He was not acting like God, although the dog did many wonderful things for them and helped them in, 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 in their comfort and in their old age. But the point is that it, just like the mercies of God, you can't get away from them, right? They couldn't get away from that dog in that house. He was going to be with them no matter what. Um, I, I remember a story of uh, Kay telling the children that, she needed to be by herself and she was going to go into the bathroom and Chase turned around and told the other two kids, you cannot come in here, mother needs to be alone. And then he closed the door and was in the room with his mother, you know. <laughs> Obviously, it wouldn't include me, right, you know. But again, you can't shut out the mercy of God. It follows you. It comes after you. Uh, the old, an old Verizon network had the, the, the guy, the famous guy with the glasses, and when you would talk to him, you'd see this, it looked like just an endless crowd of people. The network, the Verizon network, both the people that work for Verizon, the people that are connected to Verizon, and wherever you are, wherever you go, the crowd is with you. You know, Verizon follows you. 
And I think of that in relation to Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, which is familiar to many of us, um, that his mercies are continual and they never end and they're new every morning. His mercies, in that sense, crowd around you every day. Like if you could, if you could picture them, you walk outside the door to leave, you know, you're just crowded with the mercy. But then you'd have to really do it this way. When you get out of bed, when you open your eyes, you're crowded with the mercies of God that are new every morning. And we must begin to think of our lives more and more this way because that is reality for us. But that's the first uh, basic point here is this, oh, excuse me, <laughs> um, that, that God has this, the unending love of God that follows us uh, all day long uh, in, in day, our, our day-to-day life. Well, secondly, then, I just would like to look at uh, this idea of Becoming a community of Kesed, a community of Kesed. Um, it's it's wonderful how this opens up in this passage uh, as she becomes a part of this community through through Boaz. We are we're introduced to Boaz, and then Boaz comes back in it comes into the scene. He obviously is a man of Yahweh as he speaks to uh, his, his reapers, the Lord be with you. And then he's asking, who's this young woman's connection? It comes across kind of, uh, whose woman is this, right? But he's saying all women in that uh, culture had to be connected to some man, either you know, brother, father, husband, who is she connected with? And he describes her as the Moabite. Well, then she said, oh, that's who that is, see? He knew about the Moabite woman. He knew about Ruth, but he didn't know this was Ruth, see? So that's, that's the recognition here. Oh, this is Ruth, okay. And she's obviously, her, her reputation has gone before us, before her. It's not just Boaz, but the whole community is buzzing about her uh, character and what she's, her allegiance to Ruth, how she left her own land, and that's backed up as well with her diligence and work that the reaper or the, the uh, manager is describing for him. Um, and so then uh, she, as she's obediently, respectfully, faithfully working to provide for her mother-in-law, uh, he comes to her and speaks to her. In verse uh, 8 there. And he calls her my daughter. And you just see the opening up, though we're not going to cover all the details, but in every way, verse by verse, he connects her to the whole community so that she becomes a part of his gleaners. She becomes a part of eating with the reapers. She is enfolded into the warp and woof of relationship that is there in Israel. Now, this raises the, uh, the, the point of the book 
that I'm asking the deacons to read and uh, the deacons in training uh, and those who are rolling back on uh, when helping hurts. And in the book, When Helping Hurts, as they analyze what is the real problem in poverty, the critical need of the poor, the one critical need of the poor is relationship. We don't realize when we have any need in the world how we depend on who we know and what our connections are and how we get from this and that or even that we know how to use uh, the normal relational things in our society. But the poor are cut off from the normal attachments in society, isolated and alienated from the means of society. So was Ruth. She came as a foreigner. She and her mother are alienated, isolated. They have no connection to anything. Uh, they are vulnerable. They are in a dangerous situation. And now he is bringing her into uh, full orb community and we need relationship the poor needs relationship first to people in position to give them specific economic help and recovery assistance training life management uh, they need relationship that brings them encouragement to gives them a change of perspective a transforming love and support faithful chesed commitment to stick with them and see them through they need relationship and it's not surprising it's the image of God in relationship loss of relationship is devastating it's far-reaching restoration of life must mean a restoration in relationship and we see the same thing reflected in addictions whether it's uh, substance or pornography, the isolation and the secrecy of this. And then in real vital relationship, the presence of people who get involved in a person's life, and it always breaks the pattern. It's always what usually breaks the pattern. The presence of others, the sharing, the involvement, the vulnerability. Sometimes it's, of course, means discovery and confrontation. It means shock for the person, yet many times they admit relief that they finally are, are, are being exposed and have a hope for change in their life. And then when people continue to love them uh, in the midst of their uh, change and slow uh, transformation, they experience a new level of acceptance. They begin to see their problem more and more clearly. They turn against the problem. They begin to attack it with the support of others. They're not hiding anymore. They're not making excuses. But it's relationship. It's always relationship that enable people to change. It was interesting, years ago, Larry Crabb changed the acronym of his organization from Christian Counseling Ministry, same letters, to Christian Community Ministry. Because he saw over and over and over again, it's not just counseling, it's the community that changes people. And by God's grace, we have seen this many times in our uh, churches that we have many times personal involvement in individuals, but how many people, it could be dozens of people that at one time or another have an influence, uh, spend time with a person, 
uh, it could be a, a small group. It could be individuals. It, it's part of its worship. Part of it could be Sunday school. But just the whole community coming around a person and they belong in a whole new way and in ways they've lived that were sometimes dangerous and also personally destructive and socially destructive by God's grace. And sometimes it's years we see them come out of the woods and become lively uh, what people would say, good, normal, productive people. But that is hard. It really is hard. It's costly. Easy to hand somebody some money and, you know, go on your way. But boy, is it hard to be involved with people. <clears throat> but this is one thing that we, we learn from this passage is that they were cut off from the normal means of subsistence, but through the leadership of Boaz, he's the leading human agent, but you can see that the whole group in the fields extends to her this unfailing love under his instruction and leadership. She receives the benefit of the whole community. I have not seen much of the dog whisperer. I, I saw actually only one part of one episode, but it was interesting how Cesar Milan, is that how you pronounce his name? Those of you who are dog whisperer fans. Um, he uses his whole pack of 30 dogs when they bring in a, a dog that really is not functioning well. It's not just that he spends time with the dog, but that the dog spends time with the 30 dogs. And over time, that's how the dog learns how you live, how you regard the, the leader who's Cesar and how you relate to other dogs. And he says over time, the, the dog that was socially not able to relate to dogs or people uh, over time through his influence, his personal involvement and the, the uh, influence of the, uh, the, the whole pack, um, it changes the dog forever. So dogs get with it. <laughs> But we have the great privilege of being a community of change, of consciously thinking of ourselves. Let's be a community of change. Let's be a growing, caring community that, are trying, that is trying to envelop people, people hurting in various ways, broken in various ways. Even successful and prominent people can be broken in various ways, spiritually, emotionally, relationally and sometimes economically and socially. So we form a community of chesed where God's chesed love that has transformed us is enabling us to extend that chesed love outside to our community. And that's a joyful place to be. It's a really joyful place to be. And it's an amazing place for people to find uh, in this world. And that's the privilege that, that we have of being. And, you know, the Verizon commercial I, I use is also a great illustration for you in ministering to someone and seeing behind you the total resources of the church that come with you. To think, it's not just me with this person, but if I can get this person to a Bible study or even a fun fellowship thing or just anything and let in, this, in a good sense of the word, let the community get its blessing hands on them. You know, its hands of mercy, its hands of chesed to begin to draw them in. That's the hope that we have, that we have 
uh, an amazing community of Kesed that we offer to the world. And of course, our prayer must be always, oh Lord, make us into that community. Make us into a community that's bent on one thing, and that is loving one another and loving other people. Uh, I love that section of Philippians 2 where he, he says, he starts off in the first verses of being of the same mind. Well, it doesn't mean being of the same mind that is all of you like purple for the foyer, right? <laughs> Be of the same mind. It means, because he, he, then he defines it, be of the same mind, and here's the mind to be. Have the mind of Christ. Consider one another as more important than yourself. Count their interests above your own. That's the same mind we're supposed to have, right? That's the only unity that gives unity, is a unity of counting one another as more important than ourselves. The unity of, of, of laying down our lives as Christ laid down his life for us. Uh, so that's what we can pray for because God commands us to be that. He's given his spirit to create that. It's something we can pray for with earnestness and expectation that God will do that for us. Because he wants to build a people that glorify his name by demonstrating his love. Well, the, uh, we, we see how God works in our lives through day-to-day uh, -day activities, God's, uh, and, and we see uh, this amazing Kessid community that we can become. And we have the next little section that really begins with his statement in verse 12, and that is, I'm calling it the radical act of taking refuge under his wings. This was a radical act for her to take refuge under his wings. Uh, Laura Donaldson reports how Cherokee women identify with Orpah, who went back to her family, because this connotes to them hope rather than perversity, because she didn't reject her traditions. She didn't reject her sacred ancestors. So for them, it's like, no, Ruth, uh-uh. Orpah's the lady. Orpah's the one they identify with because she kept to her traditions, she kept to her family, she kept to uh, the, the whole nation that she was a part of. And so in that mindset, Ruth threw caution to the wind. She made a foolish decision and she cast her lot with a, desti a destitute mother-in-law in an alien land. And really on the surface, that's what she did. It's crazy, Ruth crazy for you to do this on the surface but for Ruth it's the only safe place to be that's what's so marvelous about our, our decision to take refuge under the wings of, of God under the wings of Christ is a radical decision realizing I have no other safe place but under Christ I have none. This radical commitment we make is part of our helpless dependence on his steadfast love. She had everywhere to go from the world standpoint, a much better place to go, but in her mind, there was no place to go to put, put herself under the care of Yahweh. And that's, a, that's a wonderful place that God brings us to if we're believers that I have nowhere to turn. 
I, I can do nothing else but put myself in the hands of this gracious king. You remember in John 6, when some of the disciples abandoned Jesus because he was saying some hard things. And so Jesus turned to the 12 and said, do you want to go away as well? You may remember Simon answering him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we've come to know that you're the Holy One of God. You know, like, yeah, fine suggestion, but where would we go? You're the one. You, we have nowhere else. You have the words of eternal life. And there are many of these passages, but i just give you one. Psalm 57, verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. So it's a radical decision, but it's the only decision for us. Um, God has overcome our suspicions and his mercies have won us to himself. Uh, and taking refuge under his wing, there is no other place for wholeness. I sometimes kid with, I love to see a kid with a sucker in its mouth because I always say, can I have your sucker? Right? I mean, I'm not serious, of course, but, uh, and I wouldn't take it, but they never say yes. You know, <laughs> mm-mm. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And I think of us in our natural state with God comes and says, can I have your life? And we just keep our sucker in our mouth and it's like, uh-uh, I'm not giving you my life. I'm not, uh-uh, I can't trust you. Uh, we're like that with God. I'm afraid I won't get it back the way I want it. I pray I won't get it back in one piece. What might he ask me to do? What will be my losses? What will I not be able to do? What would I have to give up if I put my life in your hands? But we come to a place where we realize there is no other safe place to, to be in your hands. Whatever I will lose, there is no other safe place but to take refuge under your wings. We're so desperate to be filled, so desperate to have meaning and significance and pleasure and satisfaction. Uh, we're a vacuum. Um, and life is riddled with all kinds of fears that we can list. But by his mercy, we come and know what it is to be cherished and accepted and received as his children. And he overcomes our suspicions that prevent us from giving ourselves up to him. Uh, had a, have I shared, I think, a, yeah, no, I didn't with this whole group, but we were driving on, on the highway one time, headed back to some people's homes. I was speaking at a church and I saw some kittens on the side of the road. I don't think I've told you all this. Saw some kittens on the side of the road. And so I thought, I'll rescue these kittens and take them to the people that we're staying with. <laughs> Maybe they can find a home. I oh, know they're so happy, you know. <clears throat> but um, this is in Mississippi, a road in Mississippi. So I stop, I catch one kitten easily, uh, but the other kitten was not having it and it rushed into these briars. And somehow I got my hand down. And of course, having cats my whole life, I know if you hold it by the scruff of the neck, 
you know, immobilize it, and you can take it to your thing. So I've got it by the scruff of the neck, and the thing somehow turned and just scratched my hand to pieces. So I took it by the tail, and I threw it into the lake. No, it's just... Uh, <laughs> um, but I just had to let it go, right? I just had to let it go. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't catch it. And I thought, that is, golly, that is such a picture of how I approach God by nature. You know, you're not getting your hands on me. And we're desperate. It's like, what will you do to me? This kitten's life was on the line, right? This kitten, it was life and death for this kitten. And it chose death. Blindly, of course, but it was not having me on it. And I was the very means that it could be saved and be petted and fed for, for who knows how long. Maybe it lost 15 years right there, you know. And we are like that by nature with God. We are suspicious of God, what God would have us do. And of course, the same thing with Kesed. As we take refuge under his wings, that transformation of receiving his love and submitting to his love in Christ and, and following Christ, then we begin, the church begins to be a refuge extended out to other people. And some of you certainly have experienced that as being a part of God's people. How many times different individuals or groups have become the wings of God to oversee you. And what's interesting is that Boaz is talking about you came to the God of Israel under whose wings you've come to take refuge but Boaz was the one who actually on the ground was extending those wings to her. And that's the way it usually is. God extends his wings, how? Through the people of God to other people. What a privilege to be a part of that. That we could be the Kesed community and offering the shadow of the wings of God for others. Well, um, I'm going to close out and just talk about the last scene. The, the narrator, you see, what? here's the thing. Bear in mind, Naomi didn't know who Ruth, whose field Ruth had come into until we'll see here. She finally finds out. But Ruth didn't know who Boaz was. We know everything because the narrator let us know. Hey, Boaz, I mean, uh, Boaz, he belongs uh, to the clan of Elimelech. He's like a relation. And she walked into the uh, field of this relation. We know that. She doesn't know who Boaz is. And it's interesting how the narrator waits to the last minute. So verse 17, they glean the field. She beat it out. She had this conversation first, verse 19, her mother-in-law says, where did you glean today? See, she didn't know where she was. Where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. And then the narrator keeps it, keeps it, keeps it. And finally, at the end of the verse, in the the same way in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the the word comes at the very end. And finally you get to, and the man I work with today is Boaz. (gasps) Boaz. And then it, it hits her that the Lord has shown kindness beyond what she could have imagined. Um, and she had so much grain, um, they, 
normally would a regular worker's portion of grain would be one to two pounds, but not a gleaner. They would have far less. But the gleaner comes home and she's got about 30 pounds of grain plus some roast ready to eat that you'd pick up from the upscale grocery or a nice restaurant. You know, she had that just on top of the rest of it. It'd be like you get paid every day somewhere between $125 and $175. And every day I got a $140 today, $160. And then one day you come out, I got $3,000 today. You know, that's what this was like for her to walk in like this. So there's this final, uh, meditation and final enjoyment of the great benefit and, and everybody learns everything at this point what we've known the whole time that uh, she has come under the wings of Yahweh by coming under the wings of Boaz and Boaz is close to their is uh, a, a relationship and he may be the very means of saving these two women but the drama continues because it says she kept close to them, gleaning to the end of the barley and wheat harvests, probably about seven weeks of gleaning, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Mm, well, what about Boaz? What's going to happen? What's next? You kind of hope that something and Naomi and mother-in-law in the next chapter, she, they're just living together, and there's, there's no action on Boaz's part. So we get to chapter 3. Uh, Actually, we won't get to chapter three until November. Sorry for the break, but we're going to, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you about that later, but um, we're going, well, I'll tell you about that later. I don't have time. <laughs> Let's uh, pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this amazing story of your constant work, uh, your involvement in Ruth's life, your uh, arrangement of all that happened to her. Uh, Lord, you had your hand on her from the, the moment she was married uh, into this clan. And you worked in her heart. You revealed yourself through Naomi and the family. She was drawn to love Yahweh and, and she would not uh, leave. And she took Yahweh as her God. Uh, Lord, she came under your wings. Lord, enable us continually to come under your wings, to taste your kessed love, and to extend that love and extend your, love, your, your wings of care uh, in every way we can as the people of God. Make us, Lord, more and more a community of kessed love. We pray for the glory of Jesus. Amen.